Again, guys, welcome. My name is Tom. It really is a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, we are, uh, let's see, what week are we? We are week five now in our series called Jesus Is, and we're going through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is really a unique gospel account. There's four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was written at the, it was written uh, the, as the fourth. It was written like kind of after the other three. And the gospel of John is really special because it's written by arguably Jesus' closest friend. That's the apostle John, right? And the reason that we're going through this series, Jesus is, is because we want to see Jesus more clearly. We're in a foundational season as a church plant. That means like we're laying a foundation. We're going to build off of what we do now. The culture that gets established now. So what happens right now, like in this season of the church, probably the next 12 to 18 months, that's the foundation with which this church is going to exist on as long as God has it exist. So the ways that we treat each other, the ways that we engage with our neighbors, the ways that we love or don't love our city, the ways that we're generous or not, the ways that we serve or not, the ways that we're engaged with the spirit or not, we're cultivating this this foundational season. It's a really, really cool, uh, it's a privilege to be a part of this kind of a, this kind of a season. It's, it's special, man. And our desire as a church is to have Jesus be the foundation of our church. It's so easy to like kind of move on from the gospel and just kind of go into, the, okay, now what do I do? That's not our heart. We want everything we do to be informed by the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God took on flesh, came to earth, lived the life we couldn't in our place, died the death we deserve in our place to reconcile us back to him and then fill our hearts to motivate us, not out of obligation to get God to love us, but to motivate us to love the world the way that we've been loved. That's what we want to continuously go back to that well of the gospel, back to that well of Jesus. So that's why we're going through this series Um, We're going to jump in here pretty quickly. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be finishing up uh, John chapter 1 this morning. Uh, While you are turning there, you can use your app, the Lord's going to be on the screen, that kind of thing, but uh, while you're flipping there in your Bibles, uh, has anybody ever seen or encountered an angel? I know that's a crazy, I know that's a crazy question. Like, I don't mean like, like, somebody that you think is cute or like your child, you know, my little angel. I mean, like genuinely, have you, like, have you ever, encou- like raise your hand if you have. I'm not judging. I just want to, I, I genuinely want to get a pulse on the room of where we're at. Because in some rooms, you'll be like, half the hands will go up and people are like, I've seen an angel and I'm convinced of it. And other half, they're like, do, do they exist? Like, is that just folklore? What's happening? Okay, so maybe like, I see you like reluctantly putting your hand up. Okay, so here's the thing. <clears throat> not to get too weird, but we're going to talk about some fun stuff this morning. There are stories like throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, of people encountering angels without even knowing it. The book of Hebrews says, like, gives a command to show hospitality because oftentimes people would show hospitality, they'd entertain and care for and serve angels and not even know it. Uh, I have a story to tell you before we get get jumped in, before we jump into the scriptures. I might have encountered an angel. I'll explain to you in this story. You, you can judge for yourself, okay? Uh, this was probably almost a decade ago, and I'm leading worship for this, this church event, okay, uh, decent-sized event. And uh, the way it worked was these, these events were back-to-back, okay? So it was almost like the first event was then repeated to another audience right afterwards, okay? And so I get, I, you know, I get done leading worship. I walk off the stage um, for the second event, right? 
<clears throat> remember they're back to back, and I was told that the, the speaker who was supposed to speak at you know, the back to back events, that he had, he had, he had left. <laughs> And thankfully, they had recorded it, like, you know, with the cameras and stuff. So there's, they had a DVD recording of the, of the first event. And this guy walks up to me and he goes, hey, um, uh, I want you to uh, introduce this, this DVD to the, to, the, to the people, to the audience. Because he explained what would happen. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. You want me to get back up there? These people came here to see this person speak. You want me to tell them, hey, thanks for coming. Watch TV. Like, I felt super insecure about it. I was like, I don't want to do this. <clears throat> so kind of long story short, um, he hot potatoes it to me. He was like the, the guy who told me was the organizer of the event. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. Like, why don't you do it? And he's like walking away. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So uh, it's this, 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 this stage, right? And I'm, if you're familiar, there's like there's wings of a stage where no one can see you and you're waiting to like go on. <clears throat> so I'm on the wing of the stage. I have a microphone in my hand. And I'm like, nothing inside of me wants to do this. I'm like, they're going to throw tomatoes at me. This is not good. So I'm waiting in the wing there. And I feel like God speaks to me. I feel this like internal voice that I'm like, that wasn't my thought. Okay? And what I felt like God said was, I want you to preach to these people. And I'm like, oh, no way. Like, there's no chance that's going to happen. So I'm going through all the things in my brain to justify why I should not obey that voice that's in my head, right? No way, this wouldn't work. People didn't come to see me. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to anger the event coordinators. Like, all this stuff, they're going to get really upset. I'm gonna, my reputation's going to take a dive. Like, uh, people are going to think I'm making things all about me, that I'm hijacking this time. All these thoughts trying to justify why I shouldn't do that. And... As I'm sitting there, I'm no joke, it's probably like 60 seconds before I'm supposed to walk up and deliver this announcement. And then I feel that voice, that still small voice in my head again. <clears throat> and I feel, like, I feel like God says, don't be afraid, I'll tell you what to say. And at this point, I'm like, no, God. <laughs> There's 60 seconds, I have no prep. I haven't read my Bible today. I've not, I got nothing. I like sang some songs and led some worship. It was great, but like, this is a different thing, man. So, okay, I'm like, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm sweating, guys. Like, I'm like, I'm afraid. I'm seriously, I'm petrified. And I go up there, like I have a microphone in my hand. My palms are sweaty. I walk up there and I'm like, okay, here we go. <clears throat> so I take the microphone, I put it up to my lips and I see eyeballs. And I go, hey guys, uh, we have a DVD for you. Um, enjoy it. Bye. And I walk off the stage and I'm kind of like in this, I'm kind of in like the what just happened mode, you know, where you're still processing information. So I walk off the stage, they cue the video, they're playing it. I walk out to the lobby. It was in a church and I walk out to the lobby and I'm just kind of like, what just happened? And you got to understand, like, I honestly, I knew everybody at this event. Like, I had some form of a relationship with them. Like, I knew everybody, and, and I, I'm walking out in the lobby, and this woman comes up to me. And I'd never seen her before in my entire life, which was awkward because I, I knew everybody there. And I'm like, who is this person? She looks me dead in the eyes, and she goes, I was really hoping you were going to preach. And I'm like, I got chills even now just telling you the story again. 
And I was so um, taken back by that. I'm like, there's no way that this woman could have known that. Nobody on the planet knows that. I'm standing on the wing by myself in the dark. And when she said that, she had like the most calm, kind, gentle face, but she was telling me something that was like kind of hard to hear. And she says it, and I'm just kind of like, and I just kind of smile, and she smiles back at me, and she kind of walks out of, the, out of the church building and walks away. And I remember being like, what just happened, man? And I went home that night. Ebony wasn't at the event. Um, and I went home that night, and I told her what happened. Honestly, and she just cried me for, she just held me for while I cried for like an hour. I just like wept. <clears throat> because God had asked me to do something, and even told me that he'd give me what I needed to do it. And guys, I said no. Like I told the God of the universe, no, I totally disobeyed him. And I did it out of fear. <clears throat> the thing is, like that night when I'm like crying in my wife's arms like a baby, like I didn't feel condemned. I didn't feel like God had given up on me. Like I knew he still loved me. That's what almost made it worse. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew he still loved me, but it wrecked me nonetheless, man. Now, this woman that I told you about, was she an angel? I don't know. Okay, maybe. <clears throat> but either way, my interaction with this woman, like, it impacted my life. I remember that night being like, Ebony, I'm, if God tells me to do something, I'm never going to say no again. And obviously, I've, that didn't happen. Like, I've, <laughs> I didn't, like, stop sinning from that point forward, you know, but... It had, this interaction with this woman, it impacted my life. Like it caused me to think differently. It caused me to think differently about the interaction between heaven and earth. Because the thought went through my head, who is this woman? And she just kind of like walked away and drifted off into the parking lot. Like, who is she? But it caused me to think differently about the interaction between heaven and earth. Today's passage that we're going to go through in John, it's a story about Jesus having a similar interaction with somebody. It's a story about Jesus, and he's, he's going to display that he has knowledge about things that are seemingly inexplainable. Jesus is going to display supernatural knowledge, okay? So before we jump into John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, I'm going to pray for us, okay? <clears throat> Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you again for your grace and your love. Thank you that you never hold our past against us. Um, the ways that I've so just consistently said no to you, you're still faithful to me. And I know that my brothers and sisters in the room, their story is the same. They've said no to you plenty of times and your faithfulness hasn't changed. Um, I pray for those of us in the room, um, the moment we start talking about angels and the supernatural, people start to kind of get uncomfortable. And I think oftentimes it's because they've seen things, um, they've, seen, uh, they've seen that kind of abused in the church. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would bring us peace this morning um, to be able to filter things out that are of you and grab a hold of things that are you. So I pray truth over us this morning. I pray, God, that you would guard my mouth. Um, I want to honor my brothers and sisters in this room. And I pray that you'd have your way and you would encourage us and show us more about Jesus. Help us see Jesus more clearly. That's our, that's our goal. So thank you, Spirit, in advance for doing that. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read John chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 43 through 51. Okay, I'm going to do things a little bit different this morning. I'm going to read just a little bit and talk just a little bit. Read just a little bit, talk just a little bit, okay? So John chapter, chapter 1, verse 43. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Really quickly, the literal translation of follow me in the Greek, what it literally says, if you were to read it literally, it says, keep following me. Keep following me, okay? This is what Jesus calls his disciples to. He calls his disciples to a lifetime of following. It's not a seasonal thing. His call to you and I is no different. Let's keep going. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael. Okay, so really quick, Philip has this encounter with Jesus, then Philip goes to find Nathanael. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay, so Philip, he encounters Jesus, then he goes and tells Nathanael about Jesus. Really quickly, uh, next month is Chad and Melissa's one-year wedding anniversary. Come on, come on. Uh, Their wedding was, it was rad. It was such a special day. Like, they both looked amazing. The venue was incredible. The food was stellar. The drinks were amazing. The dancing was off the chains. Like, it was a great day. Like, it was a fantastic day. Uh, The way that they, you guys know how, like, couples do send-offs now? Like, they used to throw rice. What Chad and Melissa did, I thought was was really cool. They, maybe you guys have seen this. Uh, When they, like, exited their ceremony, you know, (coughs) they had everybody line up you know, like Soul Train, and they're going to go down the center and get into their getaway car. And what they do is they passed out sparklers. Have you guys seen this? We'll do the sparkler exit. It's, it's really cool. What was cool is, like, they pass out the sparklers, but here's the thing with sparklers. Like, you only have to light one. You only have to light one because, a, like, a lit sparkler can light the rest, right? Guys, this is what happens with Philip. He encounters Jesus And Jesus lights the sparkler of his heart, man. He lights him up. And Philip, then he goes and extends that flame of the love of Jesus, who God is in in flesh. He goes and extends that to Nathaniel, like one torch lighting another. That's what they do. And he's like, yo, Nate, like we found the promised Messiah. Like we found him. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, we we, we talked all about the Messiah. And basically what the Messiah is, it basically just means the anointed, promised Savior. So Philip, he tells his buddy Nathaniel, he says, we found the Messiah, okay? His name is Jesus, and he's from this place called Nazareth. Here's the thing about Nazareth, though, guys. Like, it was a really small town. Like, it's the kind of place where people ask you where you're from, you're like, I'm not going to tell them I'm from Nazareth. It sounds bad, but I used to do this. Um, So I grew up in Wildemar. My parents, we moved out here when there was nothing. Yeah, come on. And, uh... And I remember uh, when people would ask me where I'm from, I'd say, like, that aren't, like, weren't in Southern California. I'm like, oh, you know where, like, L.A. and San Diego are? Just, like, in between those, you know? And then when we moved to San Diego to plant the churches, like, we'd, I'd, you know, I'd tra- travel a little bit. And be, oh, cool, like, where are you, where are you ministering? I'm like, San Diego. You ever heard of it? Like, I had so much, like, gross pride in that, you know what I mean? It was disgusting. But either way, Nazareth, Nazareth was the kind of place, like, it was podunk. It just really was. It really makes, they, I think they said the population was something like, I'm going to butcher this, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident when I read in the commentaries, it was something like under 2,000 people. This is like, this is really small, okay? Small town, but here's the thing about it. Philip and Nathaniel both, 
they would have been really familiar with Nazareth because it was in the same region that they were from. Okay, very similar to like if you're, uh, actually, uh, Nathaniel, he's from Cana. I'm gonna give you a little bit of geography. Nathaniel's from Cana, it's three miles from Nazareth. So he totally knew about Nazareth. It's like if you live in Temecula, you totally know about Marietta. Or if you live in Menifee, you totally know about um, Marietta. Like they, they're, they're neighboring things. They're, they're three miles away. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, he says this to Philip when he tells him about the Messiah coming from Nazareth. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So Nathan, or Nathaniel, he basically says, you're telling me that the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed savior is from Nazareth. That's crazy. <clears throat> he goes, nothing good can come out of Nazareth because he's clearly not a fan of Nazareth. Um, when I was reading this, like I just told you, like the gross pride I had about where I lived, I think we all tend to look down on people and places. If we genuinely like uncover our heart, I think all of us, there are places and people potentially even that we look down on. But listen, that's not the only reason why Nathaniel's skeptical about all this. <clears throat> every Jew, every Jew, which was they were, they were Jews, knows that the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. <clears throat> now we know, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and then his parents transported him, like, you know, they moved to Nazareth to raise him, right? <clears throat> but Nathaniel is skeptical um, so yeah, he's skeptical, but I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice how Philip responds to him, okay? He says, come and see. One Bible commentator says this, quote, Philip was wise. This is so good. Philip was wise. He did not argue. He said simply, come and see. Not very many people have ever been argued into Christianity. Often our arguments do more harm than good. The only way to convince people of the supremacy of Christ is to confront them with Christ. On the whole, it is true to say that it is not argumentative and philosophical preaching and teaching which have won men and women for Christ. It is the presentation of the story of the cross. Guys, if you desire to see people believe and trust in Jesus, the absolute best thing that you can do is simply invite them to come and see. You can argue with them all day long, but oftentimes, I would argue almost every single time. No one's going, you know what, you're totally right, I'm going to follow Jesus if you argue with them about what they believe. But if you do hear what Philip does and goes, I know you're skeptical, Nathaniel, I totally get it, bro. Just come and see. It's the best way. <clears throat> so think less argue, more invitation. Okay? So Philip, he invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus for himself. Verse 47, let's pick up there. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Really quick, uh, I want you to notice here that when Jesus met Nathanael, he claims to already know about him. And Nathaniel's response is, bro, we've never met. Like, how do you know me? We've never even been in the same room together. And then Jesus shares even more. He gets, he gets specific. <clears throat> Jesus has personal knowledge about Nathaniel. And like I said, it's specific. He goes, I saw you under the fig tree. 
there is, I read, again, I read like a dozen commentaries on this verse because every scholar has like a different kind of approach of what, it, what the whole fig tree thing meant. Like it clearly had an effect on Nathaniel here. Okay, we'll see in just a second. But here's the thing. Biblical scholars, they debate on what exactly Jesus means when he tells Nathaniel that he saw him under the fig tree. Here's the truth. Nobody really knows for sure what happened under the fig tree. Okay? But here's the thing. Every biblical scholar, all of them agree on this, is that it was so private and so significant that when Jesus brings it up, all of Nathaniel's doubts about this guy, Jesus being the Messiah, evaporate. He instantly goes into what he says here in verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus shares supernatural knowledge of Nathanael. And Nathanael's immediately convinced. He goes from being the skeptical like, okay, fine, I'll come meet this guy to your God. In an instant, guys. Yep, this guy's the Messiah. Let's keep reading. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. I gotta stop here. Like, I love moments like this in Scripture when I personally can start to sense the humanity of Jesus. Like, I can totally picture Jesus like putting his arm around Nathaniel and being like, dude, you think that was cool? Like, just Wait. Just wait for what's in store. And engaging him, right? The guy who was skeptical, putting his arm around him and being like, there's more. Let me show you more. <clears throat> uh, where it says greater things here, Jesus, is, he's referring to what's to come. Okay, he's referring to signs and wonders and miracles that he's gonna perform that these guys that are following him are gonna witness him perform. In fact, next week, we're actually gonna jump into the second chapter of John. We're gonna talk about Jesus' first miracle. Anybody know what it is? Water to wine. We're going to talk about the water turning into wine. That's next week. Let's keep moving. All right, verse 51, our last verse. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever you see truly, truly, whenever you see words repeated, it's emphasis. So Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see, when he says greater things, he, he elaborates and he says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, really quickly, I'm going to go through three things and get out of here, okay? The three things we're going to talk about, first is this, Jacob and the Old Testament ladder, the spiritual realm, and the claim that Jesus is making. Okay, I'm going to motor through these really quickly. Jacob and the Old Testament ladder. Now, in verse 47, when Jesus says to Nathanael, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, everybody who heard this, they would have immediately known what Jesus was doing. Like, not only was he making a claim about Nathanael as, though, as, as that he's an Israelite with no deceit, but he was contrasting Nathanael with the Jewish patriarch, Jacob. Um, really quick, some background. You guys are familiar, hopefully, with Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'll hear it in the scriptures. Like, oh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Family tree, okay? Every Jew is a descendant of Jacob. Abraham has Isaac, his son. Isaac has Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. Okay, those 12 sons are the 12 tribes of Israel. So every Jewish person, every person waiting on the Messiah is a descendant of Jacob. Okay, here's the thing about Jacob. God changes his name to Israel. 
So Jacob is Israel, right? His descendants are Israelites. So it's, like a, it's basically like a huge family tree. Are you following with this? this is like, I know this is Sunday school stuff, but you guys are tracking with me. Okay, here's the thing about Jacob. <clears throat> Jacob was deceitful, like hugely deceitful. If you guys remember the story, his brother, his older, he has an older twin brother, Esau. And what he does is he basically like cheats his brother out of his birthright. He cheats his brother out of being the, having the rights of the firstborn son, okay? He deceits him. He's deceitful. So he, Jacob is like infamously known for being deceitful. And like I said, later on, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. <clears throat> so all the Jews, right? They're, descend, they're descendants of deceitful Jacob whose name became Israel. So when Jesus says that Nathanael is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, everybody who's hearing this is going to be drawn to their patriarch, their deceitful, infamous patriarch, Jacob, okay, who is Israel. Jesus is contrasting Nathanael with his famously deceitful ancestor. What he's doing is he's putting Jacob on the radar, okay? And then just right after this, in verse 51, Jesus says, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is doing here is he's referring to what is known as Jacob's Ladder. Maybe you guys have heard of this, Jacob's Ladder, before. It's from Genesis chapter 28. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize it really quickly, okay? Remember, Jacob cheats his brother Esau out of his birthright. So Jacob, he's fleeing for his life. He's going through the wilderness because his, his brother wants to kill him. He totally cheated him, right? So Jacob is fleeing through the wilderness, fearing for his life. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and, and when he's in the wilderness, he has this dream. He has this dream, and in his dream, he sees a ladder that reaches to heaven. And he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on this ladder. Sound familiar? That's what Jesus is drawing our attention back to. Um, regarding this passage, uh, the, the one about Jacob and his dream, uh, Tim Keller says this, quote, In the first part of the dream, he saw a giant stair or ladder. A lot of you have heard of the story of Jacob's ladder, but the word ladder does not in any way get across the meaning of the word that you actually have here in Genesis 28. For the word translated stair or ladder means a grand ramp or even a causeway, which is like a bridge, over a body of water. It was a massive thing. Listen to this. It was a massive thing that moved armies so they could move across the water or up a mountainside. So what army are we talking about here? It tells us Jacob saw angels, an army of angels, ascending and descending. The word angel means a herald. That's what the word means. It's a military word. The angels are representatives of the royal majesty and might of God. What the vision meant was God is doing business on earth. God's glory and power and life are coming to earth. Okay, so Jacob, he has this dream, right? He sees this ladder with armies of angels doing God's work. And then the next part of the dream, God tells him that he will have many descendants, those are Israelites, right? Many descendants, and through them he will bless the whole earth. And then Jacob wakes up. And where does he wake up? He's back in the wilderness, fleeing for his life. But, he ha- but something's changed. His countenance changed. 
And he's got a ton of confidence at this point because God has like broken in for him. He's like, he's like, he's, he's invaded his life in a very tangible, practical way. And he says, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. I mean, think about it. He's, he's freaked out. He's afraid. He's running through the wilderness. Then he has this dream and he goes, surely God's here. And I didn't even know it. And then he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven where he's at geographically. So he basically sets up this monument. I know some of you guys are familiar with this story, but he sets up this monument. He calls it Bethel. He says, this is the gate of heaven. All right, really quick. We need to take a moment. We got to talk about the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm, for whatever reason, makes people really excited or really uncomfortable. So I'm going to ask you to try to be neither right now. Okay? Spiritual realm. What both Jacob and Jesus are describing here is activity in the spiritual realm. Remember I asked you, have you ever seen an angel? Have you ever encountered an angel? Have you ever met an angel? Most of us, not, not for sure. Okay? What Jacob and Jesus are describing here is activity in the spiritual realm. Anybody have a computer? Raise your hand. Okay, like the whole room. Great. <clears throat> okay. A computer is what allows the physical realm, right? The natural realm, the physical realm. It allows the physical realm to interface with the digital realm. You guys familiar with how digital like, things work, right? Uh, digital files are binary. I'm going to butcher this, so if some of you tech guys, you can talk to me afterwards. Just follow me, okay? Digital stuff is binary. It's ones and zeros. If you break it down to its core, it's ones and zeros, Okay? And what the computer does is it processes all those ones and zeros and it helps you be able to experience what's happening in the digital realm in the physical realm. Make sense? No? We'll talk. Okay. But seriously, so you have all the files on your computer, every file, and its most basic form essentially is one, zero, one, zero, and different combinations. So on, off, on, off. And the computer processes those on, off messages enough times to be able to present to you so that you can physically experience something that isn't just ones and zeros. You got me. Half of the room, wonderful. Okay, so here's the thing. Here is the thing. Yeah, it's kind of like DNA, it's great. Those things in the the digital realm, they're accessed by the computer, okay? They're accessed in the physical realm by the computer. Just as there is a physical realm, which all of us, we sense things, we can touch and feel and taste and all that stuff. There's a physical realm and a digital realm. Your computer files are real. Like, there is a spiritual realm. I don't remember the last time I saw into the digital realm without a computer, but it's there. There's a spiritual realm. Here's what I want you to know. Like, each of us in the room, you as a human being, Not only are you a physical being, but you're a spiritual being. It's a real thing. In my experience, like I said, I see two major errors that people make when it comes to the spiritual realm. The first, and I would argue the greatest error, is not acknowledging it at all. Like having it not even be part of how you think or process or engage with life. The second error that I see is when people are like overly spiritual. Like everything is spiritual attack, right? So like, dude, I lost my job. Spiritual attack. It's like, bro, you're late every day and they caught you stealing from the company. Like, 
it's not spiritual attack. You just made really bad choices. <clears throat> so I don't want you to make, I don't want any of us to make, e- I don't want us to, either one of us to like, uh, to err on either side of that spectrum, okay? Not acknowledging the spiritual realm or everything is overly spiritual. There's a healthy middle, okay? Like everything, moderation, right? Here's what I want you to know about the spiritual realm. <clears throat> the physical and the spiritual affect each other. They affect each other, okay? Jesus had supernatural knowledge about Nathaniel and that fig tree, okay? But he wasn't physically there. Jesus wasn't standing behind him like, you know, checking him out and, you know, he wasn't being creepy. He wasn't physically there. Jesus became aware of that information by the Holy Spirit. It was activity that took place in the spiritual realm and it had a massive impact on Nathaniel when it came into the physical realm, when it got communicated, when his ears heard it. Are you tracking with this idea? Nod. Give me a yes. Okay, great. The spiritual influenced the physical. You ever heard the term spiritual warfare? Yes. Okay. Ultimately, what spiritual warfare boils down to is good versus evil. If you want to break it down, it's good versus evil. But here's the thing. It is war. In the spiritual realm, there is a war waging, a war going on. And the war is going on over the territory of your soul. That's the battleground. So listen, like when you and I, when we engage in sin, when you and I, figuratively speaking, stand on the, the, on the, the wing of the stage and say, no, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. When we do that, the enemy is taking ground over the territory of your soul. You ever thought about what is actually happening in the spiritual realm when you do the things that you do? Like I thought about this this week as I was prepping and I was like, whoa. It made my sin feel a little bit more powerful. It made my acts of obedience feel way more powerful. But have you ever considered like, what happens in the spiritual realm when I do the things that I do? Uh, we got kids in the room. Yeah, okay, I'm going to pass on something. When you engage in things that would cause you to be really tempted to lust, like what do you think happens in the spiritual realm there? The enemy's taking ground. It's war, right? <clears throat> like when you're selfish when you choose yourself over other people, the enemy's taking ground. The battleground is our soul. But here's the thing. When you love your neighbor, especially when you love people that can give you nothing in return, like little children, when you love your neighbor, when you serve God, when you obey him, guess what? Heaven takes ground. The other day, um, I'm gonna share the story about praying for your headache. Is that okay? <clears throat> So the other day, Eb had just, this was probably weeks ago, she just had one of those days where it was like rough. Kids were crazy, circumstances were not fun, things seemed to get in the way, nothing really seemed to go right. And that evening, we're just processing after we got the girls down, and she starts to get this gnarly headache. Like to the point where she's like, babe, and she does not complain. I'm a complainer. Like if I'm sick, you will hear about it. If she's sick, you won't. She's tougher than me. And she tells me, she's like, hey, I got a headache. And like, it, it hurts. And when she says something, I'm like, okay, something's going down. 
And she goes, um, she goes, actually, it's like affecting my vision. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, let's pray. So I put my hands on her forehead and like, I just prayed healing over her. And it was crazy. It was amazing, guys. Within, no joke, within seconds, her eyes get big and she's like, my headache's gone. And she's like, my vision's totally clearing up. Guys, when somebody gets healed, and I can tell you stories for day, days of just literally, God, please heal this person, and something miraculous happens, and where someone was experiencing the brokenness of their physical body, it goes away. <clears throat> when somebody experiences healing, it's the kingdom of heaven taking ground. Things are happening in the spiritual realm that are influencing the physical realm. Guys, have you ever thought about what happens in the spiritual realm when you pray? Like when you just simply engage with God and talk to him and ask him for things and ask him to reveal things to you for your benefit and for the benefit of the people. Just when you pray, when you engage with him, that's what prayer is, is engaging with God. It's not limited to a conversation, but it certainly includes that. Like you thought about what happens in the spiritual realm when you pray. Have you thought about what happens in the spiritual realm when you worship Jesus? Like when you worship God. Guys, seriously, when we praise him, when we worship him, when we pray over each other, like, it's all warfare. It's literally war. Every moment of your life, every moment of my life has spiritual implications. Guys, do you know what happens spiritually when we fill this room with praise? Psalm 22 says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Like, it's not just to feel good and to, like, do the thing that Christians do. There's way more going on than just what you are physically or emotionally even feeling or experiencing. Do you know what it means when it says God inhabits the praises of his people? It literally means that when we praise him, he draws near. Like, the God of the universe draws near. If you ever uh, read in the Old Testament, you know that there's tons of battles, right? <clears throat> there's a bunch of battles. You read about them all over, the New Te- all over the Old Testament. I mean, I'm talking like literal war, right? Like combat. And there are several examples of singers and musicians being sent into battle with the soldiers. Like with their instruments in hand. Like singing and praising God as like walking to the front lines. Like, why on earth would you do that? Like, so-and-so's got, like, a sword, a shield, and, you know, in our, in our day, like, guns, and, like, Mark and Cassie have a microphone and a guitar. Like, why on earth would you do that? Because the battle was just as much spiritual as it is physical. My friend, your life is just as much spiritual as it is Physical. The same is true for you. I'm going to call the band up. I'll close with my final point here. The claim that Jesus is making. Guys, when, Jesus, when, when Jacob, when he has this dream about the ladder, right? When he has this dream about the ladder and the armies of angels ascending and descending, think of this picture. Stay with me. Stay with me. 
Jacob has this dream, right? The ladder, armies of angels ascending and descending on it. Guys, Jacob was in trouble. And it was God breaking in for Jacob. It was spiritual. It was warfare. When Jesus says, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on him, do you realize what he's saying? Guys, Jesus is saying that he is the ladder. He's saying that he is the causeway. He is the bridge that transports the armies of heaven. Guys, Jesus is heaven invading earth. The territory of your soul. Jesus is saying that through him, the armies of heaven are waging war on the enemy. Jesus is saying he is the bridge between the spiritual and the physical. Guys, it's war. And every war is fought for a reason. Guys, do you know what God's reason is for fighting? Like, do you know what God is fighting for? The answer is you. Like, he's fighting for you. Guys, heaven invaded earth, and you were the prize, you were the spoil. Jesus fought for you. And here's the thing that gets me. Do you know how Jesus fought? This wrecks me every time. Jesus didn't fight physically. He fought spiritually. He didn't fight with a sword in his hand. He fought with nails in his hands. Jesus came to crush the enemy of sin once and for all by absorbing it on the cross. He didn't fight physically, he fought spiritually. At the cross, he paid for your sin once and for all, all of it, gone. Guys, do you believe that? I don't care how long you've been a Christian, like, do you receive that and believe that for you today? Because if you do, you'll have peace. If you do, you'll experience freedom. Nathaniel, right? He saw Jesus for who he truly was. And Jesus tells him, you're going to see heaven opened and angels um, ascending and descending. Jesus is telling Nathaniel, he's saying, the closer you get to me, the more you're going to see the unseen. The more your antennas are going to go off, the more aware you're going to be. He's saying, the closer you follow me, the more you'll become aware of what's going on in the spiritual realm. And I'm convinced, I'll be just totally transparent with you, I'm convinced that far too many Christians have de-spiritualized life. Like to the point where they can't even see God anymore. It becomes, relig- it becomes religion, it becomes ritual. You can have decent intentions and still go through the ritual of going to church and going to group and, and reading my Bible and praying even. But they de-spiritualize it to the point where it's just ritual. There's no power. They've lost sight of the war. But here's my thing. My, here's what I want you to know. Like, no matter where you are at in life today, 
no matter how clearly you see him or you don't, God sees you. Oh, he sees you. Jesus sees you under the fig tree. He knows every detail of your life, man. Every detail. And he has loved you to the point of death, even death on a cross. Will you stand if you're able? I'm going to pray for us. Forgive me for just a moment. I just want to wait on the Lord, okay? I just want to wait on him. Father, your desire is to wash people clean. there's somebody in the room who um, they've been carrying something with them for quite a while. Um, Something that they have kind of tried to lock away. um, And it's something that in the spiritual realm, the enemy attacks them and uses it to rub it in their face that they're dirty and that they are um, like they're too bad. They've, They've gone too far. And it's a lie. Uh, I just call it out in the name of Jesus. It's a lie um, because Jesus won the spiritual battle. Um, he gave himself on the cross to forgive every sin, like even the really bad ones. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer to every heart, um, especially um, the person who is, 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 has been holding on to something um, that the enemy has used to exploit them. Um, I pray that they would receive the gospel of Jesus that makes them clean. I pray for each of us in the room that we would live lives um, as men and women who have been made clean, not by our effort, but by the blood of Jesus, and that he has fought for us in the physical and in the spiritual. And then it brings freedom because we're loved. We're totally accepted, and it's not based on what we do. It's not based on earning it. It's based on the free gift of grace. So I pray I pray that each of us in this room would receive that this morning. Maybe for the first time or for the millionth time, we would receive your grace being poured out to us and we grab a hold of it and we walk in freedom because of it. I pray, God, that we would be men and women, honestly, who don't fight physically, who fight spiritually, who battle in the spiritual realm with prayer, with obedience, with trusting in Jesus. And that as a result, we would see your kingdom come in every area of our life. I pray that we would model that for our children. We would model dependence on Jesus, not dependence on stuff, or not dependence on your ability or your talent. All that can be taken away in an instant. I can get in a car accident today on the way home and it can be gone. But one of the things that can never leave me is the spirit of God that seals my soul that was given to me through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray that over every person in this room. We'd receive it, we'd enjoy it, we'd collaborate together in being able to receive it and enjoy it. And God, your will would be done and your kingdom would come here in this place as it is in heaven. I love you, Jesus, and so grateful for your goodness and so grateful for your strength. Give us peace. Amen.